Maybe you shouldn't have shared that information about your dad. I mean, the only thing people who are sick really have control over is when they share the information about their sickness. And with that sentence, a fellow counselor sent me into one of the biggest shame spirals of my life. I had just shared with my small group at a conference that after getting approval from my mom, I had written a blog post about my dad's dementia in order to educate people on the horrors of dementia. Afterwards, this counselor pulled me aside to share with me her thoughts on my behavior. What happened next was ugly. I immediately smiled and said, thanks, you're right. Maybe I shouldn't have shared my dad's health on my blog. And she nodded at me knowingly. As we returned to the main conference, I thought, wait a minute, what just happened? Why am I thanking her for calling me out on something that is none of her business? You're listening to The Happier Approach, the show that pulls back the curtain on the need to succeed, hustle, and achieve at the price of our inner peace and relationships. I'm your host, Nancy Jane Smith. This month, we're talking about high-functioning anxiety and how to see it playing out in your everyday life. No conversation about high-functioning anxiety would be complete without talking about shame. Shame is at the root of anxiety. I spent the next few days of the conference in a huge shame spiral, obsessing about my dad, worrying that I had betrayed him, ruminating about my qualifications as a counselor, daughter, and caregiver. That one conversation turned me into an anxious mess. All of the symptoms I talked about last episode came out in full force. I spent the rest of the conference overperforming, trying to prove to myself and everyone else that I was a capable counselor. I took tons of notes and attended every session. I called my parents multiple times to check in and make sure I was a loving, kind daughter. I laid awake each night playing and replaying the initial confrontation and my thought process behind writing about my dad. Why did I do that? That was so stupid, I told myself over and over and over again. Each night, rather than being social with the other attendees, I hid out in my room, numbing on movies and room service. Shame is at the root of all anxiety. Here's how it works. You have the underlying belief you are unworthy, unqualified, a fraud, and that causes you to have anxiety, to worry, and over-ruminate about the shame and feelings of unworthiness. And then high-functioning anxiety sends you down a different path. What we expect with generalized anxiety, you know, the kind we've come to know through TV and memes, is hiding out, not engaging, and numbing. Anxious people disappear into themselves, and shame is often the trigger that pushes them there. But not you. Nope. Your response is to overfunction. Your high-functioning anxiety has convinced you that the way through the shame is to push yourself more, to accomplish more, to people please, hustle, and polish it all to perfection, all in the hope that you can relieve the feelings of shame and anxiety. You think things like, I'll show them, or who is she to judge me? I will own her one day, or she won't be saying those things when I have achieved fill in the blank. Hello, when then syndrome. As opposed to generalized anxiety, where the response is to protect yourself by using the coping mechanisms of hiding out, not engaging, and numbing. This mix of shame and high-functioning anxiety is why all the attempts to stop people-pleasing or stop being a perfectionist don't work unless you start dealing with the shame and anxiety. That is not to say that all people who engage in people-pleasing and perfectionism have high-functioning anxiety, but I want to make the point that if your attempts to loosen up your people-pleasing and perfectionism haven't worked, it might be a deeper problem. So, what is shame? I think a great way to define shame is to clear up the difference between shame and guilt. Frequently, clients will say to me, I have a lot of guilt, but what they really mean is shame. 
As Brene Brown explains so well, guilt is I did something bad, where shame is I am bad. The beauty of guilt is that you can rectify it. If I did something bad, I can apologize, fix it, make amends, change the behavior, etc. Let's say you forget to pick up your husband's prescription at the store. When you get home, he asks where it is, and you immediately feel guilty. So you say, oh my gosh, I totally forgot to get it. I'm so sorry. I can head out after we eat and pick it up. You did something bad, you apologized, you made it right. As opposed to shame, there is nothing you can do to fix it because you, as a person, are flawed. Your response is, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I forgot it. Let me head out right now and get it. You miss family dinner because you're out picking up the prescription, and you drive like a maniac because you're so full of anxiety as your inner dialogue keeps playing what a terrible, forgetful loser you are and how you have to get better organized. Frequently, we take an action that we did wrong and turn it into a fact that who we are as a person is wrong. And rather than simply apologizing for an honest human mistake, it becomes a shame spiral about how irresponsible we are. Another example, you forget a meeting at work. You forgot to put it on your calendar. Again, an honest human mistake. You feel guilty, you go to your boss, you apologize, and you ask how you can make it up. Or what did you miss? You have a great conversation and you move on. With shame, you spend the whole day in your office beating yourself up for missing the meeting because that means you're a terrible employee. And then your anxiety steps in, of course, to tell you that you'll probably get fired. To avoid shame, we often opt for a strategy of disconnection. Psychologist Linda Hartling identifies three such strategies. The first strategy of disconnection is moving away. This involves withdrawing, hiding, silence, and secrecy. You work really hard on a project at work only for it to be met with a wondrous thud. So you grab your pint of ice cream and head for the couch and a Netflix binge. Common thoughts include, I'm a failure. I'm never going to succeed. I should just give up now. The second strategy of disconnection is moving against, which involves becoming aggressive. Yep, even passive aggressive. Trying to humiliate someone else and being judgmental. A fellow mom calls you out for missing two volunteer days in a row. As she walks away, you think, who do you think you are to tell me that? Must be nice to be a stay-at-home mom. Next time you see her, you also make sure to mention how easy it must be to be a non-working mom. The third strategy of disconnection is moving towards, which involves people-pleasing and trying to earn connection again. This is what I did when the woman at the conference called me out for sharing my dad's illness. This one is the most challenging for me to understand, and ironically, it's my go-to. It seems so counterintuitive, and yet I see it all the time in my office. People who say nasty things to my clients, and then my clients turn around and try to make them like them more. What I love about knowing these ways of disconnection is they help me recognize when I'm acting out of a place of shame. So when I notice myself talking about someone or worrying about getting someone to like me or hitting the yes, I'm still watching button on Netflix, I know to check in with myself and see if the shame is showing up. So because shame is so tied to anxiety, what can you do about it? First step, you will always hear me say is acknowledge it. Acknowledging is just so important because it's something we do not do, especially people with high functioning anxiety. We have become masters of ignoring, denying, moving on to the next thing. So we engage in one of the shame defenses and push even harder to prove ourselves. The problem with this ignoring 
other than the obvious, is that it keeps you stuck in unhealthy coping skills. But when you can acknowledge it, you can do something about it. You can start shifting the belief that you are unworthy and broken and start recognizing you're human. And sometimes being human is hard, but that doesn't mean you're broken or unworthy. And then be kind to yourself. Another one you're going to hear me say all the time. Also, because we don't do it and it is totally counterintuitive to us. I have a funny story about this be kind to yourself. In 2014, I became certified in Brene Brown's Daring Way, which is her methodology to build shame and resilience. According to Brene, there are two ways to combat shame. The first way to combat shame is empathy, seeking out people who who can relate to you and give you real support and empathy. If you haven't watched her video on empathy, I highly recommend it. And even if you have, I highly recommend a rewatch just to refresh you. I'll definitely be sticking that in the show notes. The second way to combat shame is self-compassion, being kind to yourself, giving yourself some grace and love. You know what I talk about all the freaking time. But I walked away from that certification training and had spun it to be 70% empathy and 30% self-compassion. So when I went back to my office and started doing groups around the Daring Way, and I would teach people to seek out empathy, talk to others, get support. And then my clients who attended the groups would come back to me and say, this just isn't working. They would say, I talked to a bunch of people who were empathetic, and I still feel consumed with shame. Then I saw Brene Brown in an interview with Kristen Neff, who is a leading expert on self-compassion. And Brene said, gosh, man, I struggle with self-compassion. And I realized I do too. And then it hit me. Oh my goodness. I took Brene's unconscious bias about self-compassion and applied my unconscious bias about self-compassion and poured that on my clients who also had a bias against self-compassion. And the result was teaching them that empathy was more important than self-compassion. When in reality, empathy was just easier for us than self-compassion. People with high-functioning anxiety can find others that support them and give them understanding. What they struggle to do is support themselves. The truth is you can line up 10 people who genuinely believe you are a kind, gentle, good person who can talk you down from a shame spiral and you feel great for five minutes after. But if you can't give yourself kindness, it goes nowhere. You end up repeatedly telling the story about how much you suck and what a terrible parent you are. Then you receive support and then bam, you feel crappy 10 minutes later. So you go back out into the world and tell the story again and the pattern happens over and over. The problem is twofold. Because people with high-functioning anxiety struggle with their emotions, they tell the story as if it were a news report. This person did me wrong. I'm so mad at them. And your friend chimes in with, yes, they are terrible. What an awful person. You are awesome. Forget about them. So your friend isn't really giving you empathy about how you're feeling and what you're experiencing. She's giving you support around your news report. What is missing are the actual feelings and emotions behind the story. I feel defeated, miserable, sad, and completely unworthy. This interaction has rocked me to my core. And secondly, empathy without self-compassion, it doesn't solve the problem. You have to be kind to yourself and give yourself some love. When I was in a shame spiral during the conference, I told everyone I could about this terrible woman who shamed me, but I never acknowledged how much it really hurt me. 
how it did rock me to the core, how I did question whether I was a good daughter or therapist. Now, common wisdom is to say, stop thinking that way. You're giving her your power. Why are you allowing her to take up space in your brain? Which is a true statement, but that statement doesn't work until after you acknowledge your feelings, after you drop into your body and say, wow, that really hurt. I feel sad about that. And just allow yourself to feel it. Then you can say, is there an action I need to take? This goes back to that idea of guilt versus shame. Sometimes you did do something wrong and you need to make amends. Do I need to talk with my dad about this situation? Now, for me, this was more complicated because my dad had dementia. So checking with him about sharing his story was impossible. But I did check with my mom again and we had a conversation about it. And finally, you can say, okay, time to move on. I need to stop giving her my power. And as a heads up, you might need to repeat that process, acknowledging the feelings, giving yourself some love, tell yourself time to move on over and over and over again. In addition to empathy and compassion, another idea is to start paying attention to your good person rules. People with high functioning anxiety have a lot of good person rules. These are usually super rigid. And when you really look at them, they can be a little silly such as a good mom is always willing to play with their child. A good spouse never goes to bed before their partner is ready. A good mom always makes dinner every night. A good friend texts back right away. A good worker always says yes. Notice how often those rules say always and never. They're super, super, super rigid. Start paying attention to your rules and start to loosen them up a bit. Ask yourself, is this rule valid? Honestly, sometimes we have a hard time deciding if the rules are valid or not. So it's helpful to check in with your partner, child, coworker, whoever the rule applies to, to verify it. I will often say to my husband, I noticed the silly rule that a good wife always makes dinner. And he'll usually look at me with wide eyes saying, nope, that's not my rule at all. Hearing that from him starts to loosen the rule. And then next time when I hear it, I can kindly say to myself, no, no, sweet pea, that is not valid. Let it go. Shame is at the root of high functioning anxiety. So the more you can start building resilience around your shame, the more you can heal your high functioning anxiety. Acknowledging the shame, asking for real empathy of what you're feeling, giving yourself kindness around your feelings, and then lovingly reminding yourself to let it go is the key. I love the holidays. Hands down, it is my favorite time of the year. My family has lots of traditions, and I love every one of them. But a few years ago, I was feeling burnout. My high-functioning anxiety kicked into high gear, and I was tired of saying yes to everything. Of course I can bake five dozen cookies for the party. People-pleasing. Oh, can I find the perfect gift? And perfectionism. We have to do it this way. It is how we have always done it. I wanted to do it differently, but I didn't want the same old advice to take a bubble bath, meditate, or just take a break. I wanted to find real strategies for building more connections, having more peace, and soaking up everything I loved about the holidays. So I started Live Happier Through the Holidays, a daily note delivered to your inbox each day of the holiday season. My holidays changed. I had less anxiety, less overwhelm, and more time to enjoy what was most important to me. Here's how it works. Each morning from the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, November 27th through Christmas, you will receive a note from me in your inbox. Think of it as a daily message from your biggest fan. My gift to you. 
30 Days of Wisdom and Grace delivered to your inbox so we can remember why we love the holidays so much. You don't have to white knuckle your way through the holiday season. We can do this with more grace and calm. Please join me. Visit live-happier.com backslash holidays to sign up. Hey, are you liking the show? I would love for you to subscribe on your favorite podcast player and then head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. The more people we have review, the more people will find this amazing podcast. And do you know someone who struggles with high functioning anxiety? Tell them to listen as well, because I'm so excited to share with you the happier approach. To find out more, visit me at live-happier.com.